We're back at something for nothing. I can't believe it. The we're Rush, back again. The Rush fan cast. It's Steve and Jerry. And today we're going to talk about a fabulous album by Rush, Vapor Trails. It is a fabulous album. It really is. I was surprised listening to it again. Because again, this was not one of my favorites when it came out. Again. Probably because of the production. Yeah, well, a, a little bit of backstory for me for this album. Oh, okay. When I got it, I hated the production. I thought it yeah. sounded terrible. And because of that, I honestly didn't listen to it too much. I didn't listen to it too much either. I didn't know about the production end. I just knew I didn't like the way it sounded. Mm-hmm. So I just never really listened to it that much. I listened to it definitely more than I listened to Test for Echo. But with me, when the remix came out, I was overjoyed and I immediately went out and got it. And then, then I became immersed into Vapor Trails. So that was my introduction to the, the album was sort of years later, 11 years after it came out. I mean, I, I knew the songs that they played live. Right. You know, I listened to it a few times, but I really didn't listen to it a lot. So, right. I downloaded it recently because I had the older version. Mm-hmm. And when we were doing this podcast, I figured I'm going to get the, the remix version and it sounds so much better. It's oh, yeah. Night and day. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. It's amazing. Really is. So before we get deep into Vapor Trails, And we're Jared, going to go deep. We're going to go deep. We're going to go really deep. I wanted to, to bring up another of our Twitter polls. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. 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 I can't wait. So to... uh, you remember this was maybe a month ago. We asked, what was the meaning of the cask of 43? Right. From the from Fountain of Lemneth. Fountain of Lemneth. The section called Bacchus Plateau mentions the cask of 43. Mm-hmm. So we asked our listeners, our Twitter listeners, what the meaning was. And you had proposed three different options. Right. One of which was Ayn Rand's Class of 43. The second was the first LSD trip. And the third was Mirabelle's, this liqueur, I guess. Sure. 43 ingredients Uh in this particular drink. Right. The fourth option I gave was none of the above. Okay. And none of the above won, hands down. Really? 41%. Said none of the above. Did anyone not really? Not what, really. What they just, they thought, just don't think it's those three. They just thought all three of those options were silly. I guess. <laughs> and Rand's class of forty-three got thirty-three oh, percent. So that, that's a good that's amount. not too bad. No. And uh, the first LSD trip got twenty-one percent. That's not bad. And Mirabelle's got five percent. Yeah. A couple of Twitter listeners pointed out a few things. Lewis at LF can never said he believes it's a McKellen cask, which is a cask of Scotch whiskey. Sure. Okay. Not Ian McKellen, the actor? No. And uh, Mech2112, at Mech2112, sent me a story from Ooh. a website called The Rush Vault, okay. which I think is pretty much the same story you read to get these three options. Sure. Because I, I read through it. And did I plagiarize it? Pretty like much, word for word pretty much. Uh, it. It, it said something about um, the cask of 43 symbolizes the futility of existence. And Robert Teleria in the book Merely Players is the one who came up with this theory. Oh, okay. And uh, the, the rest about of Rush, I'm assuming. Yeah. The rest of the story pretty much lists the other three possibilities that you listed. Okay. But didn't give anything definitive. So a- after all of this, we still have no idea what it means. You know, it was probably really a, just a throwaway line by Neil, something to rhyme with something else. Doesn't mean anything, maybe. Right. Maybe. Or could hold the secret to the universe. Or Neil was just stoned out of his gourd and just, Whatever. just came up with it. Right. Possible. We'll ask him. I, I think that's that's probably the best it's explanation. It's going to be question number one. Yes. 
So uh, Vapor Trails, Jer. Yeah, Vapor uh, So trails. before we get into the songs, what would you say the theme of this album is? I mean, I, I think I know where, where we're going to go yeah, here. Yeah, obviously. I think everybody knows. This is a heavy album. This is, a, this is an album just full of oof, loss and redemption and grief and healing. It's a heavy, weighty subject yeah. matter on this album. So, so now for those who don't know, some of our young Rush fan listeners may not know, may not know. That, that Neil's daughter died in August 1997. Uh, she was in a car accident, tragically. And then his wife had cancer, and she died not long after that, June 1998. Yeah. So in less than a year, Neil lost both his daughter and his wife. And at his daughter's funeral, he told Getty and Alex that pretty much he was done. He was retired, yeah. He was retired. Consider me retired. Consider me retired is what he said. So Getty and Alex just assumed that it was over. Right. And most Rush fans also assumed it was over because, you know, why wouldn't it be? I mean- for Neil at that point, right? You know he had accomplished so much, and you can understand yeah. him feeling that way. I mean, his grief was so profound as anybody's would be. It's it's unfathomable to even think of something like that happening. It was so profound that like two months after that, after I guess Jackie died, he went on a on a motorcycle trip by himself and ended up covering fifty five thousand miles. That's crazy. Over, I don't know how many years. On his BMW motorcycle. Yeah. And then he uh, wrote wrote the book. Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider. About, about it, which is a song on the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is not a, I was going to say it's not an upbeat album, but I think it ends on an upbeat feeling. Some of the songs are a little more hopeful than others, mm-hmm. but I think for the most part, these songs are Neil working through his feelings. And Getty and Alex helping him. Oh, yeah. Through those feelings. Yeah. I know that you. we've said in the past, and I guess reading quotes from Neil, is that just because he says I in a song doesn't mean the song is about him, but I think this one's different. Yeah, I think this album is mostly about him. Yeah. I think writing these lyrics and, and performing these songs helped, helped Neil heal and helped uh, Getty and Alex assist him in that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the subtitle of Ghost Rider. Something like, uh, I can't remember the exact one, it's like Journeys Along the Healing Road or something like mm-hmm. that. So at some point about, I guess it was maybe five years or so after, after his wife and daughter died, Neil called up Getty and Alex and said, I'm in need of some employment. Is that what he said? That's what he said. So, uh, and they were like, I can hook you up with a yeah. carpenter. <laughs> I know a guy who's looking for a plumber's helper. So, uh, so Getty and Alex said, sure, let's do it. And yeah. um, they went back in the studio and they took their time with this. They did. I read that they got in the studio and they were just trying to you know get back into the rhythm of their work lives right and it wasn't gelling so then they were just like let's take two weeks off they take two weeks off and they come back and that's when things really started and the good thing no one was expecting rush to put out another album so there was no pressure from anybody no to do this quickly so right. they, they were able to take their time and and they took their time yeah getty said i got this from jam showbiz from 2001, Getty said, we're trying to make this session as casual and relaxed as possible, considering all that has gone down in the last number of years. I think that is extremely important for us to keep things emotionally humane. Wow. So um, this album was released uh, May 14th, 2002, produced by Paul Northfield, who I don't believe produced any other Rush albums. No. But uh, this is a guy that Rush knew for years, so they trusted him. 
and it was remixed and re-released, as we just mentioned earlier, in September 2013. And this album, Jer, is the first since Caress of Steel, which has no keyboards. No keyboards. None. None whatsoever. And I believe they, they kind of stuck with that the rest of their careers. I mean, Snakes and Arrows and Clockwork Angels, I don't have to think about it. But I have I to think about it, yeah. I'd have to think about it, but I don't think there's any keyboards in those records either. So they kind of came full circle in their careers. Yeah. And I think this was important to Alex. To This uh, album? Yeah. Important to not have keyboards to him. Probably, yeah. On the album, yeah. yeah. I think it was, you know, it's obviously important uh, to, to all three of them because I think Getty and Alex really stepped up to the challenge of, of writing music to fit these lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's, it's aggressive at times. It's angry. It's melodic at other times. And Getty's voice is, in parts, the best he's sung probably on any Rush album. And I noticed, just listening to this over and over this week, his voice, they use the harmonies of his voice as almost another instrument on right. the album. And it's it's amazing. And a lot of like uh, background kind of vocals, like just like flying behind, mm-hmm. just for effect. Yeah. Intros of songs. So I have another uh, a thing from Alex about the sessions, about Neil. Okay. He said, you could hear him during those early days warming up. And it was like, oh my God, this is not the drummer we used to know. And he knew it. And he had only played his drums once since the tragedies. It was a long, hard trip back from nothing to build up his strength and stamina. Wow. If you can imagine going from not playing to playing like Neil Peart. <laughs> that is crazy. It's crazy to think about. Right. I mean, and, and to not play drums for five years and then pick up those sticks and try and do what he does. Yeah. Uh, no wonder it took 14 months for them to record this album. Yeah. And Neil said about the album, or about the whole process, you know, the whole experience of, you know, like riding and, and the deaths. He said, the scars remain tender, never ever healed, but only slightly scabbed over. Time does not heal all wounds, but only allows us to adapt, if we can, to a life that is forever altered. Some wounds are like physical disabilities that will never heal, but you can only be compensated for and adapted to wow that's that's incredible yeah so this whole album is going to be going to be tough to deal with at some time yeah it's going to be a it's going to be a downer it's going to be a downer but why don't we get into it and yeah, uh, let's get into it and start with the first song rush's triumphant return one little victory i said I say triumphant return, Jer. I mean the beginning of this song with the drums yeah. and then the bass and the guitar. Neil's drumming at the beginning of this song is fabulous. It is fabulous, and it's and, almost like Rush is saying, "We are back, baby." Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's a great uh, leadoff song. You know, get to get the drums, and then you have the the guitar come in, and even bass come in. It's like they're reintroducing themselves to everyone. And this song is heavy. Yeah, this song is riftastic. And if I recall correctly, this song was released before the album came out. So it was on radio before we got oh, the I album didn't know itself. That. Oh, yeah. And I remember hearing this and thinking, wow. 
this is crazy. This is crazy. Yeah, it's Rush a crazy is back, song. and this is great. Right, because it starts off with that, you know, that drum and the guitar and everything, and then it kind of goes quiet. You know, like mm-hmm. it's a little quiet section, mm-hmm. and you think, okay, this, now some, they're going to start singing, but no, it goes right back into that same intro. Yeah, they do that loud, quiet, loud thing a lot on this album. Yeah, kind of like Foo Fighters do all the time. Yeah, I, I think that the music was going for a range of emotions mm-hmm. from angry or chaotic to calm accepting that's just me yeah so so what, what are your thoughts on the lyrics of uh, one little victory jer oh boy there's so much there's so much in all of these songs yeah a um, lot to absorb there's a lot to sure. absorb in all of these songs i think overall it's about how small acts can help ease you back into your normal routine, especially after something that he went, like Neil went through. Like when you're depressed, it is a victory to get up and, you know, get a glass of water. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is a victory to make yourself dinner because you just are so, so depressed and so lethargic because of it. Everything can be a victory. And if you start looking at those small victories as building you up toward a larger one, that's really your first step in getting to back to where you want to be. Absolutely. Uh, I've got a quote here from, from Getty Lee. This is from an interview he did on Rockline. Remember that? Remember oh, that yeah. I used to listen to Rockline, Rockline all yeah. the time. One Little Victory was kind of a triumphant song for us in the lyrics and the message that the song is about. There was something about that song that seemed just so darned appropriate for opening the record and also being the first release for us in such a long time. That song started as a collection of jams that Alex had done late at night, collection of guitar riffs linked together in a really kind of typical Alex nonsensical way. <laughs> I came in the next day after he had done these things and just kind of scratched my head, but really liked a lot of it. There's a whole bunch more, but yeah. basically basically that's it. Yeah. I mean, I, we can go line by line because just like I said, this whole album is just dense yeah. with meaning. Every line. It starts off a certain measure of innocence, willing to peer, appear naive, a certain degree of imagination, a measure of make-believe. So at the beginning, we've got, he's blameless, uh, lacking, and blameless, innocent and naive, so he's blameless and lacking in judgment. But he has the imagination to know that perhaps things are going to get better. And uh, not only that, but a little measure of make-believe. Like mm-hmm. he has to, he has to create a future for himself. He's got to have not just the imagination to say this can happen, but he's making up an entire new life for yeah. himself just out of whole cloth. He's starting from nothing. He's starting from nothing. He's playing make-believe in his own head. Yeah, that's tough. I'm telling you. <laughs> and, uh, hard one. and here's a quote from Neil. Uh, I've been working on that tune and came up with the double bass part, the, uh, the double bass at the beginning. Yeah. I thought it worked perfectly for the end of the song. But Getty said, that's a great part. You ought to open the song with it. It would just kill. And Neil says, frankly, I wouldn't have done it that way. I don't think I would have been so assertive. But Getty suggested it, and I said, okay, I'll try it. Hmm. And, of course, Getty was right. Yeah. How else would you start the song? It seems, I mean, it's just one of those things where it sounds so perfect. I can't imagine starting it You can't comprehend any other way of it starting. No, it sounds like it was written to be that way from the very beginning. And I always think, uh, you know... We saw Rush on this tour yeah. quite a few times. We did, and and the dragon, yeah, the dragon, the dragon video that they showed. Yep, we saw Rush three times on the Vapor Trails tour, Jer. Wow, October twenty fourth, two thousand two. I've got the ticket stubs right here. November sixth, two thousand two, and 
July 11th, 2002. I guess I should have said that first. That <laughs> Where first. were they? PNC Bank Art Center was the July show. Madison Square Garden Madison in Square October. Garden. Wow. And Continental Airlines Arena, November 6th. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. So then we move to the second verse, a certain degree of surrender to the forces of light and heat, a shot of dissatisfaction in a willingness to risk defeat. I think both of those come together as like a setup. Like these are the ingredients that one needs to create the environment for victory. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you have to have a little bit of innocence. You have to be a little naive. You've got to surrender to like the pressure that you're under, uh, the possibility of future failure. That's an important part, I think, of coming back from something like this is that you're going to like relapse. You're going to have days where you're feeling okay, where you think, okay, from here on, this is a turning point from here on in, things are going to get better only to wake up the next morning and again, not be able to get out of bed. So failing, you know, is, is part of the process and you have to, so you have to be willing to risk defeat in order to get that one little victory. And when you have those little victories, you celebrate them. Celebrate them, right. You have to squeeze all the juice out of it. Take each little victory, celebrate yeah. that one, and then then build on it. Yeah. And then once you get that little victory, it's it's another chance to score, as he says. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I wanted to mention, in the liner notes of the albums, you see the tarot cards. Did you look into the tarot cards, Jer? I looked into the tarot cards uh, when they come up in... Um, what song do they come up in? Peaceable Kingdom? Yeah, Peaceable Kingdom. But I decided to, to print, wow. out, print out the meaning of each of the tarot cards and just maybe, you know, just a quick... Well, I think a, we should we should talk about them when we talk about Peaceable Kingdom because I did the same thing. Okay. Because there, in that song, the cards are played against each other. So you have to kind of look at the two of them, not just on their own, but how they interact in tarot readings, mm-hmm. that is. But, but they pair each of the tarot cards with a particular song in the liner notes. Oh, okay. So what I did was I was just trying to pair the card that they listed with the song here with the song. Okay. The Knight of Wands is the card that they they list here with One Little Victory. Okay. And just the basic meaning, action, adventure, fearlessness. And if you turn the card upside down, it's anger, impulsiveness, and recklessness. Wow. Yeah. So So does it play out like that for the whole, for all the songs? Pretty much, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So I think there's a reason behind each card being oh, absolutely. being next to each song. Neil does not just throw things into a hat. No. And he, shake it up and see what comes out. He does not. And and apparently uh, in the book Ghost Rider, Neil describes having an accurate tarot card reading in California, which wow, spurred, spurred his interest. Yeah, it's very, it would seem to be very unlike Neil to buy into that, right? Yeah. That, I mean, that was my first reaction. Yeah, that's and, my, I'm, you're, I'm hearing it for the first time, so it's my first reaction too. <laughs> and not only that, but Neil went out and bought the book Tarot for Dummies. Oh, Tarot for <laughs> Dummies. <laughs> and then read that. And did, uh, I, is, I, is there more on it? I mean, is he uh, like, that's, did that's, he open all up a, I, that's all I've got. But did he uh, open but, a stand somewhere and start doing readings <laughs> for people? I, I wonder so. if he took it on tour and he's just like, hey, Ged. How's, how's the show going to go tonight? Let's read your cards. <laughs> I just think he became interested in it and just... Yeah, went down the rabbit hole. Like you know, does. it's one of those things where I, I think the people doing the tarot card readings are very good at reading people. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and um, Neil was at a, in a dark time and probably the person who was reading him 
you know, yeah. read them correctly. And a lot of the cards will have not exactly opposite meanings to themselves, mm-hmm. but different meanings. And then you have to juxtapose them to the cards next to them. And it's a whole, it's a whole rigmarole. Because you remember when we were talking about the Necromonicon yes. during the Necromancer? During my Necromonicon phase, I also <laughs> had tarot cards. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. You dabbled in tarot cards, Jerry? I can never get them to work exactly. I mean, they don't really work. I don't think, but you know, I was. You tried to get them to work. I I would try to you know see if there was any kind of divination possible. Yeah, interesting. I don't, I don't remember anything about that time though. So maybe I was under a spell. <laughs> Is it the same reason that uh, the guys don't remember Caress of Steel very well? Maybe. <laughs> I can't really, I'm not at liberty to say. All right. Well, why don't, why don't we move on to track two on no, Vapor No, we trails. still have a lot to talk about track one. Oh, we do? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to keep going on track one? I, sure. Let's do it. So again, there's, the, what I love about the what's coming up next is the measure of a moment is a difference of degree. Okay. That little couplet there is perfect because your success or failure is is the difference in that little tiny right. degree. It could be anything. Could be a smile from a stranger, could be a frown from a stranger. You can either be on, you can be really happy about something or be uh, very sad about something. And all it takes is that just a tweak in one direction to be one way or the other. Right. And when I think when you're in such an emotionally turmoiled state, it, it must just be heightened. Yeah. So, so that those tiny little things could set you off one way or the other. You could go deep into depression or take a turn toward happiness. Right. And then toward the end, the, the last four lines are a certain amount of resistance to the forces of the light and love, a certain measure of tolerance, a willingness to rise above. So it's almost the song like flipping over on itself mm-hmm. because you had innocence and naivete in the first part. And now you have resistance and, you know, giving over to love, which I think it might have a lot to do. Some of these songs might have to do about when Neil met, uh, his second wife. Now, did he meet her before before this? He met her before they started recording. Okay. I'm not sure which songs were recorded right. or written when, but a lot of them have a kind of redemption kind of um, ending to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this one has, you know, a willingness to rise above. Again, he's you have to have a mindset, a certain mindset in order to even contemplate getting better. Mm-hmm. You have to, I don't want to see, have you know, like, think positively but definitely if you are going to wallow then you you're just going to get worse like he didn't uh, in my mind when he took that motorcycle trip he didn't run he wasn't running away from anything you know he was running into something like he wasn't trying to escape his life he was trying to find it again right so he was not you know like packing it in to just disappear mm-hmm. for no reason he knew himself well enough to know that uh, staying in his house you know, where his where he lived with his wife and daughter was too much. Yeah. So he had to recreate his own life and he did it on the open road. I mean, it's- A great place to do it too. Every song on this album is like this. We're Man. gonna be talking like this for the next, <laughs> uh, how long? It's going, It's we're gonna go deep. Okay. All right. So let, let's go deep into track two now, Jar. Ceiling Unlimited.
So I love the first line of this song, Jar. It's it's not the heat, it's the inhumanity. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little play on it's not the heat, it's the humidity. Correct, correct. So what are your thoughts on Sealing Unlimited, Jar? This is a hopeful song. Mm-hmm. It's uh it you know, ties in a little bit to one little victory, but this is a, a very hopeful song. And I had to look it up to see what Sealing Unlimited meant. I did as well. No. What does it mean? It's a meteorological term mm-hmm. for the height of, I guess, ceiling is the height of the lowest part of a cloud. Yeah, I, I didn't cloud understand. Formation. I didn't understand it after I read it. That's why I was hoping so that, so, you would clarify this. And it's really me. like a, an aviation term. It's, I think it's only used in aviation. So the ceiling is how high, it's when the clouds start and what your visibility will be at certain heights. Okay, and what does unlimited mean? It means it's basically clear. Oh, okay. So ceiling unlimited. Why not just say clear? That's not a good... That's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good name for that's, a Rush song. That's too, too Scientology <laughs> than anything else. But yeah, it's, it's a song about endless possibilities and open skies. But the song in general, Alex is killing it on this song. Oh, I love this song. This might be, this might be my favorite song on the record. Mm. I mean, it's... It's a tough one. It's t- tough to decide, I yeah. know. And, I mean, and all we have to say at the beginning here is that everybody's killing it. Yeah, I on mean, every song, Alex's guitar sound is phenomenal. Yeah. I think most on this song, most of all, and especially on the re, on the remix, and Getty hitting those high notes on the bass at the beginning. I mean, it's insane. It's great, yeah. really. It really is amazing. Alex and Getty really brought it on this they on did. this record. They they I think they brought it for Neil. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They were helping him heal. Yeah, they were they were in it one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, absolutely. But, but a lot of the lyrics, I'm not sure. Um, what they have to do with the with the theme of the song? Some of them do. About weather, you mean? <laughs> no. <laughs> About having an open sky to fly in. Oh, okay. Basically, or having no, nothing in front of you, nothing clouding your vision. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know. Like the slack jaw gaze of true profanity feels like feels more like surrender than defeat. I have no idea what that means. Yeah, I, I, this this is a tough one for me this is, to interpret. This is, this is a hard one to crack. And, but the next line is, if culture is the curse of the thinking class, which I don't know, I don't know what that means either. <laughs> but I do, I do know that Karl Marx said that drink is the curse of the working class. Oh, okay. And then Oscar Wilde, being the crazy man that he is, yes. said work is the curse of the drinking class. <laughs> See what he did there? See what he did there? I like it too. So I was trying to think of what, in that same vein, if you're going to read both of those quotes and you know what they mean by them, I don't, if culture is the curse of the thinking class, no idea. It's, just, it's, a, it's a stumper. What about if laughter is a straw for a drowning man? Yeah, that one's much better. If laughter is a straw for a drowning man. So, so laughter would, would be, well, the straw right? The straw is either helping him breathe mm-hmm. or helping him drink, right? I would say breathe. Well, straws- If straws, he's drowning. Well, straws can be used in both ways. You can put it in your mouth and, you know, like in old cartoons or whatever, you get like a hollow reed, and stick it in your mouth and you can breathe. So laughter, it can help you deal with things. Oh, absolutely. Obviously. So either it's a, it's a way to escape or a way to work through. So it's, to me, it was like, is he, if laughter is the s- straw for a drinking man, you have to wonder what's, what is he doing with the straw? Is it helping him stay alive or is he just helping him to take in and process all of the bad stuff around him? He's drowning in his grief. I he's, think it's saving his life. 
Right, but in which way? Saving him from drowning. Right, but in which way? Because he's breathing. <laughs> well, he's breathing, but if you're using the straw, if you use, if you let's just say that he's not drowning literally, he's drowning in sorrow, sorrow and sadness, mm -hmm. right? So laughter could either be the thing that lifts him out of his sadness a little bit, and that would be the breathing through the straw. I would, I would interpret it that way. Or laughter could be the thing that helps him process his grief, and that would be the drinking from the straw. I, I pick A. Okay. You're not buying this at <laughs> all, are you? I'm buying it. Oh, okay. I'm buying it. I, I pick choice A. I don't it, know what It can one only is. be one or the other. Right. I, I choose that one. Yep. You want to know what the tarot card for um, oh, yeah. Ceiling Unlimited is? Sure. It's the star. The and, if star. You, and if you have the CD, you can you can pull it out. You can play along. Play along. Um, so, so the tarot cards have two different meanings, upright and- Upside down. And upside down. Just like me. Just like you. So upright, uh, hope, faith, and rejuvenation. Nice. Reversed, faithlessness, discouragement, and insecurity. Wow. That's it. But the thing is, all these songs, you know, have their positive and negative spots. Yes. That's so, true. So the card could be right side up or upside down, depending on- Well, in the, in the little booklet there, right side up. Yeah, that's true. Are any of them upside down? No. But only, But only because- you know, he probably wanted us to see what they were without having to turn the CD over. It would be cool, though, <laughs> if one of them were upside down, because that's, that be, that's the interpretation he would want. That would be cool. Yeah. All right. So anything else about Ceiling Unlimited, Jer? No, just at the end. Again, another hopeful note at the end. He said, Ceiling Unlimited, windows open wide, look and look again, feeling unlimited, eyes on the prize, changes never end. Winding like an ancient river, the time is now again. Hope is like an endless river, the time is now again. I think that that's the best line of the song, right at the very end. There. Yeah. So if hope is like an endless river, there's no beginning to it, there's no end to it. It's just constantly there for you to access. Right. There's always hope. There's always hope. And right now, that's what he's feeling. He's he's hoping for hope. I guess it's going to go down in an endless river of hope and hope that he gets somewhere. Yeah. Speaking of getting somewhere. Oh, yeah. Track three. Track three. Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider. We're going to be talking about Ghost Rider for a little while, I think. <laughs> so, Jared, this song pretty much chronicles his travels that you mentioned. Yes. Along the uh, the healing road, as he says in his book. Yes. So, thoughts on this song? I think an, another strong track on this album. Oh, yeah. Definitely another strong track. Um, I remember from the book, I did read the Ghost Rider book. He would send postcards back to Getty and Alex and... On one, he had taken a picture of his empty motorcycle. He, was, he wasn't he was on his motorcycle. He put it up on his kickstand okay. on an empty stretch of road. So it just looked like it was just going on its own. Those photos are in the book, too. I've yeah. seen them. And he wrote, I think the note he wrote back was, I am the ghost rider. And he spelled <laughs> ghost and rider wrong or something like that. It was like a little joke between 
him and Alex, they would spell words wrong. How do you spell ghost wrong? Without, I don't know, without the G-O-S-T maybe. <laughs> but he was, so he was thinking about that even when, when he was on the road. He considered himself an insubstantial person. Hmm. And I don't think it had anything to do with the, the Marvel comic Ghost Rider. Oh, I don't think so either. I know, I'm just, no, kidding. No. <laughs> just kidding. That's Johnny Blaze. He has a skull for a head that's always on fire. Uh, so yeah, it, uh, you know, it's, oof, God, where do we start? Pat, the first line, pack up all those phantoms, shoulder that invisible load. I mean, really, really don't need to even discuss the meaning of these lines because yeah. they're self-explanatory. Yep. Keep on riding north and west, haunting that wilderness road like a ghost rider. So, you know, I mean, a ghost, right, is somewhere, someone caught between this world and the afterlife. Someone you can see, but you can see right through something that is insubstantial yet still has some kind of form. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful metaphor for him to use for himself during this time. If that's really how he's feeling disconnected from his entire family because they're gone, but also disconnected from everyone he knows by choice. Yeah. And like a ghost, you know, he's in between worlds hoping to land in one of them. I'm assuming you always get the feeling from ghosts. Like in, uh, in movies, they're always they're hanging around because they have unfinished business or something like that. And once they can get their business done, they, they can go, go to the other side, whatever that business is. So if he's a, a ghost rider, that's what he's doing. He's going to keep riding till he, he finds what he's looking for. Right. Something that's going to save him and, right. and bring his corporal nature back to him. What do you think um, the shadow on the road behind, Oof. shadow on the road ahead means? <sighs> what does the shadow signify? Well, just, well, if there's a shadow ahead of you and behind you, there's no, where's the light? You know, there's no light in front of him. It, that comes up later in the song, but there's shadows in this song, but there's no light. Maybe, oh, I, I think I figured it out. Maybe he's on the road so long that let's say he's traveling west in the morning, the shadow's on the road ahead, and in the evening, the shadow's on the road behind. Or Well, that would be the, the literal yeah. translation. Well, could it, could it be that? It could be, but I'm, if we're... I, like I said, I'm reading this entire album through his lens, what he was going through. And I just think it's a metaphor for, you know, no light. There's no light. It's just all shadow. And shadows are scary. If you're driving towards something and it's just shadows and you turn around and there's just shadows there, there's just shadows all around him. Whatever direction he goes. Whatever direction he goes in. But then later in the song, sunrise on the road behind sunset on the road ahead right nothing can stop you now so if the sunrise is behind him that means that like the dawn of a new day the promise of a new day is behind him it's in his rearview mirror that's was his life before but it's again a little bit of a hopeful idea that there's a sun set in front of him at least he's seeing the sun at least he's seeing something that reminds him that there's a sun Mm. it's going down but at least now we can see it all right that's just me no um, no no. i think you're on it here jerry for sure and then in the middle of it he's like keep on riding north and west then cycle south and east show me beauty but there is no peace for the ghost rider that's just so just he's seeing be- he's you. seeing beautiful things left and right but he's still not finding peace no the, he can see the beauty but he, he can't recognize it can't appreciate it can't appreciate it at all and he's going to so, keep yeah. riding until he can. Yeah. And then later on, just an escape artist racing against the light, a wandering hermit racing toward the light. 
Again, he's trying to get toward the sunrise or the light. You know, it's like, like he's running in the darkness so he won't be found in the light. You know what I mean? Like he's running uh, under the cover of night, you know? Mm-hmm. But then he's a wandering hermit, which is an, kind of an oxymoron, right? Hermits stay by themselves. But he's a wandering hermit, right? He's a man who doesn't want contact with the outside world as hermits don't. And yet he's out there. Right, but he's, I think what he means by wandering hermit, he's wandering, but he's not interacting with people. He's just riding. Maybe, or he feels like a hermit. He feels like he should, in some way, be a hermit. Mm -hmm. Go sit on some mountaintop or whatever and try to find peace there, but he's not going to do that. He's going to keep wandering. Hmm. So the tarot card that goes with this one is the Wheel of Fortune, Jer. Ooh, the Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, so- Pat Sajak's there? uh, Yeah, Pat Sajak and uh, and Vanna. Vanna's there? Sure. Upright, the Wheel of Fortune means change, cycles, and inevitable fate, and reversed, no control, clinging to control, and bad luck. Mm. Yeah, deep. Yeah, this is a bummer, man. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, again, at the end of the song, when it says sunrise on the road behind, sunset on the road ahead, there's nothing to stop you now. Nothing can stop you now. There's hope. There's still hope. He's just going to keep on going until he sees the sun rise on the road ahead. Yeah. Real deep stuff. This is some really, really deep stuff. Speaking of that, why don't we move on to track four on Vapor Trails, Jer? Peaceable Kingdom. Peaceable Kingdom. This song, Jar, this really dives into the tarot cards, does it, it not? It does dive, dive into the tarot cards, but Peaceable Kingdom actually has a, has a meaning in itself. Okay, just the phrase Peaceable Kingdom? Yeah. What does that mean? Um, I read that he took it from a book called, I guess it was called Peaceable Kingdom, a primer in Christian ethics. But Peaceable Kingdom is an idea that is in the Bible. I found out it was in Isaiah 11, 1 to 9. And it's kind of a messianic type of uh, passage where when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a peaceable kingdom. Everything will get along with each other. Okay. And there's like phrases from a couple of the lines that we still use today and work into our normal conversation. From the lyrics, you mean? From the Bible. Oh, from the Bible. Oh, okay. Yeah, so line six is, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And then uh, line nine is, they will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So this is a song about trying to bring peace or trying to recognize peace and not an internal peace. This is like a terrorism song about terrorism. I read that it was inspired by uh, the attacks on the World Trade Center, Mm 9-11, 2001, 
I don't know if that's true. Well, uh, what I read, it was originally supposed to be an instrumental. And then after the attacks of 9-11, Neil decided he was going to write lyrics for it. They became Peaceable Kingdom. Yeah. So Peaceable Kingdom is like a prophecy of a time where there's no violence, hmm. basically. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Uh, no. So what about the lyrics, Jerry? I mean, mm. they, they reference the tarot cards left and right here. Right. But at the beginning, it says, all this time we're talking and sharing our rational view. A billion other voices are spreading other news. All this time we're living and trying to understand while a billion other choices are making their demands. So yeah. no, matter, no matter how hard one person or a group of people tries to you know, share their rational view, is always going to be a billion other people who are being irrational about something. And most people are irrational, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say that's, that's pretty close to the truth yeah. for sure. I mean, later, oh yeah. And then we get to the, the different things that justice against the hangman, king of wands against the hour, swords against the kingdom, time against the tower. And then later on, the hermit against the lovers or the devil against the fool, swords against the kingdom, the wheel against the rules. And those are all cards. Those are all, well, some of them, most of them are. Yeah. But so I did, the research that I did was trying to find out when I read them as being, you know, one against the other, I think of them um, in tandem with each other. Okay. You know, and that's, that's what happens in tarot. Cards have their meaning, but they also have a different meaning. And they're paired next to another card. Okay. So, you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, it's going to take- Hit me with it. So, justice, I think you might- Did we mention justice already? Justice against the hanged man? Yeah. So, justice is reason and truth. Okay. And, of course, justice. The hanged man is selflessness and sacrifice. But together, it's one who's fond of rites of passage and initiations. And it's a danger of observing the form and not the meaning of the law. Also a danger of following directions, even when they are clearly wrong. So if if we're talking about terrorism, I think this is, or like extreme violence. That's how I'm reading all of these things. Okay. The Knight of Wands, right? Right. Uh, The Knight of Wands, immediately after starting an activity, he slows down and abandons the big idea. And the result is very good work. But in the the lyric, it's Knight of Wands uh, against the hour. Is the hour a tarot card? The hour isn't a tarot card, but an hour against the hour would imply that he's doing things quickly, right? He's, he's got a time limit. Okay. So if, if the Knight of Wands, given enough time, is going to do good work, then if he doesn't have enough time, he's going to do bad work. Oh, I, I see. So he's against the hour. He's against the hour. He's, got it. Are these, two, are these two out there for you? Uh, it's, a little bit? It's a little out there for me. Go ahead. Uh, okay. so what about Swords Against swords. the Kingdom? Well, swords are, I read there, uh, often double-edged. And in this way, the suit of swords symbolizes the balance between intellect and power and how these elements can be used for good or evil. And if you are putting a sword against the kingdom, you're either fighting for good or fighting for evil. Probably for evil in this case. Yeah. And it depends on who's holding the sword. Yeah, for sure. And what about, yeah. what about time against the tower? The tower, the image on the tower is a tower sitting on a mountaintop with a lightning strike hitting it and setting it on fire. And two people are leaping from one of the windows. Yeah. And, and, and the image is eerily reminiscent of yeah. the Twin Towers. Yeah. And it's a scene of chaos and destruction. And time isn't a card, but more like a, a timetable of when things are going to happen. Like when an event will happen. 
I think it depends on how the cards are laid out when they come up. Right. It tells you whether or not something's going to happen sooner rather than later. I mean, it's almost, it's almost like it's, it's a matter of time before these things happen somewhere. What about the hermit against the lovers? Well, I found that the hermit has difficulty expressing emotions clearly, and the lovers symbolize societal pressure. I'm not sure how exactly that is. But together, in spiritual matters, they have great power. In physical matters, dan- there's danger from the magnitude of their forces. I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> you know what? I, I hate to say I don't buy into any of this tarot card stuff. I don't buy into it either, but I think he's using it in this way. Oh, yeah, for oh, sure. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That, uh, that my idea is that he is using these cards and how they work together to really deepen the imagery of the song. Yes. What about the devil against the fool? The devil uh, has a sense of righteousness, but not an understanding of it, which is true, I suppose. Yeah. The fool is nothing but trouble. He causes accidents and sorrow, and his natural cycle is to be violent. And together, they are unhappiness arising from confusion about moral matters and physical weaknesses. I'm the devil and you're the fool, right? Of course. (laughs) Of course I'm the fool. On the way in here, I, I tripped over a rock. I'm having accents all over the time. And um, the wheel is a person having insight and dominion regarding the lives of others. The wheel against the rules. Right. Hmm. Wow. So, that, I mean, I like to go really deep when it comes to Rush lyrics, and this song was great to go into. And that's not even the whole song. Now, now, had you ever looked at the lyrics of this song before? No. Before a week ago? Nope. Wow. I'd never, there's so much in this song, I just never took the time to break it down. And, and, what, and what do you think now that you have broken it down? Oh, I, I think it's, it's a great commentary on religious extremism yeah. and terrorism of all types. And the song itself is just- Oh, the song itself is, is crazy. It's just awesome. I mean, it's so heavy. Yeah. And, and again, Getty using his vocal harmonies yeah. to enhance the song. I mean, it's- it would have been a cool instrumental too. Yeah, it's better with the lyrics. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then toward the end, he says, all this time we're burning like bonfires in the dark. A billion other blazes are shooting off their sparks. Every spark, a drifter, a drifting ember of desire to fall upon the earth and spark another fire. Wow. So like the cycle never ends. The cycle never ends. Any Anything, any movement that burns brightly it's going to cause other offshoots huh. of equally violent factions or even worse. This album, Jar, is, this is deep. This is a deep album. And we're, we're toward the end of the podcast here and we're only four songs in. So I think the best course of action here is- To make the podcast three hours long? No, I would say we veer from our format of splitting the album in two- and maybe split this one in three. What do you think? Yeah. Give it a shot. We'll we, see. Well, let's. Can we drag people through this album <laughs> for three separate podcasts? It would be worth it, though. I think so. I think so. It's interesting. It's definitely well, interesting stuff. Yeah. Let's just, uh, we'll cut it off here at our little self imposed time limit. Okay. And then we'll talk about the rest of it and see how long that one goes. Maybe it'll go three. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, on that note, this is Steve and Jerry, Something for Nothing, the Rush Fancast. Uh, If you've got any feedback for us, uh, any thoughts on Vapor Trails, 
You can uh, reach us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram at the Rushcast, email Jerry, give him your thoughts on vapor trails at the Rushcast at gmail.com. And tarot cards. Send us some tarot cards. That'd be great. Yeah. Maybe someone can read us. That might be a good idea. Oh, yeah. read us our, give us our tarot card readings. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awesome. That would be cool. Do you make... need to be present for that? I haven't the slightest idea. I'm not, I'm not present that. for anything. <laughs> really. Don't forget to rate us on your favorite podcast app after you uh, switch to a different podcast or before you do. Rate us. Give us a rating. And uh, don't base your rating on the fact that this podcast was a downer. <laughs> That's true. Just uh, give us your rating on um, how you think we're doing. And uh, on that note, Jared, you have a quote for me to end this portion of the podcast. Or are you not ready for I'm that? I'm not ready for a quote. Come I didn't on. think that we'd be at the end of the all podcast right, all right, right You know what? Let, let me you do a let, quote. Let me do a quote, okay? Yeah. A okay. homeward angel on the fly, a wave toward the clearing sky. All right. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>